We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Listening to Setting the Pace. Now, here's your hosts, Alex Golden and the great Kent Sterling. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Setting the Pace. I'm your host, Alex Golden, and joined as always on Sundays by Kent Sterling. Kent, what's going on? Not too much. It's not a beautiful day in central Indiana, so talking about basketball feels it, it feels like November and December now, so talking about basketball is kind of a natural thing. It is a gloomy day, and I hate to say it, but every time the weather gets like this, I always get a headache. So it's <laughs> it's super weird, but it's like I'll wake up, I got to take an Advil because I just, I don't know why the weather affects, maybe it's the way the, the skies are so gray, it hurts my eyes, I don't know. But Well, you must have, you must have a lot of, you take a lot of Advil from November to March because we don't get a lot of sunny days for those four or five months. No, we don't, and it, it's really just weird, it's like that weird overcast, I, don't, I just can't explain it, but... Uh, moving forward, now we got we got some stuff to talk about today, and it's been kind of an, a busy week as far as Pacer news. You know, considering that we're in the finals and and there's some stuff going around, but Pacers still continuing to look for their coach. And Scott Agnes yesterday, your former producer and friend of yours, uh, he said the candidates that he continues to hear for the Pacers coaching search in no order: Dave Yeager, Chris Quinn, Dan Craig, Chauncey Billups, Chris Finch, and Mike D'Antoni. And Woj actually came out and tweeted on Friday that he has heard about Chris Finch, Dave Yeager, and Chauncey Billups. And Yeager has made a strong case or has really impressed the, the Pacers organization. So out of those coaches, are there any names that you're you're afraid of as far as becoming the new head coach? Well, I don't like D'Antoni. I do not want him as the, the coach of the Pacers. Number one, they'd have to overpay for him. And number two, I don't like watching his teams play. So that's a problem for me. Uh, Jaeger, I, I think it'd be terrific. Uh, 46 years old, a guy who had a really good run in Memphis. And then, you know what? Not a bad run with the Kings. He didn't make the playoffs with the Kings. But his last year, they put together their best regular season record going back to like 2006. So, uh, you know, a guy who is a uh, is still young, still kind of developing, I think that he did a good job with Memphis and uh, a decent job with the Kings. He and Dan Craig, how about this? This is a little uh, odd factoid. Both coached uh, the Sioux Falls Sky Force in the developmental league or the CBA or whatever it was back in the day when Jaeger did it. 
both were coaches there, and I think both won championships. Oh, so you got that. I like Dan Craig a lot, um, you know, although I don't know him. But in in reading a lot about him over the last couple of weeks, it seems like, you know, at the age of 40, he's kind of that guy, kind of that hot assistant. And I love the way the Heat plays. So I, I kind of like Craig, but I like Phillips overall just because we know – I think we know more about him than anybody else. Yeah, I mean, Dave Yeager to me is an interesting name because it's like I think he's a good basketball coach, but I do have concerns with the run-ins that he's had with both Memphis and Sacramento's front office. And if you're Kevin Pritchard, and, and you you talked about this before, you said if Kevin gets his coaching hire wrong, he could be fired. So yeah. Dave Yeager seems like a bit risque to me uh, to go out there and get him. But what I did find intriguing um, on HoopsHype.com, it said – uh, Adrian Wojnarowski asked Eric Spolster and Doc Rivers to name an opposing head coach for whom it was particularly tough to prepare for. Both coaches cited Dave Yeager for his creativity and game management. So I huh. thought that was pretty impressive. I mean, two well-respected coaches. Now, Eric Spolster to me is a much better X's and O's coach and player development coach than Doc Rivers. But to, to hear both of them say that to, to Wojnarowski, I thought that was very in, in, in telling of who Dave Yeager is. Yeah, absolutely. And then you mentioned Chris Quinn, and and we all love Chris Quinn. If you like Notre Dame basketball, of course you remember and love Chris Quinn, but he's also from that Miami Heat uh, family of of assistants and uh, played for the Heat. And and so it, it seems like the Heat, because they've they've kind of outkicked their coverage in this postseason, that they're sort of that hot kind of commodity, that hot culture that people want to emulate. So it's going to be interesting. But this is for Kevin. I mean, you only get so many hires as a general manager at, at the head coaching position. And if you blow two of them, you got a real problem. And uh, so this is this is kind of Kevin's Kevin's time to find that guy who's going to be able to lead this team beyond the expectations of fans. And that's really how in our world coaching prowess is sort of judged. You've mm-hmm. got to you've got to succeed beyond what the fans believe is reasonable, and we haven't had that in Central Indiana for a long time. Right, and a lot of people might say, "Well, this is his first coaching hire," but actually, Mark Monteith came out on Twitter this week, and he said that it was Kevin Pritchard who asked Bird, you know, to move in a different direction from Vogel because he was going to be taking over, and they actually knew that whole thing was going to be happening. So, right. It was it was more Pritchard's call to keep McMillan in or to bring McMillan in and let Vogel walk. But I got to throw a pitch out here to you regarding Dave Yeager. Uh, we want Chauncey Billups, and we know Chauncey Billups would be you know an interesting and an intriguing coach. Uh, while these other coaches already have gigs as assistant head coaches and stuff like that, Dave Yeager is currently unemployed. Do you think there's a any way possible that we could get head coach Chauncey Billups with Dave Yeager as his associate head coach? I think that's interesting. I'll, I'll throw another wrinkle in there for you is Jim Boylan as an associate head coach. Because Boylan, I didn't know this until this week, but Jim Boylan lives in Indianapolis and did live in Indianapolis through his entire time being a head coach with the Bulls. His oh, family wow. lives here, and I had no idea. Like his, his, uh, he's, I, I, he's going to coach his daughter's CYO team at like St. Luke's or someplace close, uh, found that out this past week. I had no idea that he lived here, but his family has stayed here. And, and so here he is. I mean, he's the local guy. They're not going to hire him as a head coach, obviously, 
but I think he'd be a terrific member of the staff. He's well-regarded here from his time uh, with the Pacers. And a guy who, uh, you know, he's just he's right down the road. He can drive to work easily from where he currently resides. Yeah, so you're not a fan of Dave Yeager as the assistant head coach then? Well, I don't know why he – I guess he's unemployed, so a job is better than no job. But uh, – and, and here's the deal, and, and I learned this in management, that a guy who's a really good associate head coach isn't always a terrific head coach, and a guy who's a good head coach isn't always a good associate head coach. Yeah. So it's, they are two different skill sets and two different personalities. Uh, and, and so I don't know whether he's that kind of guy who coming back to be an associate head coach, kind of to, to replate his, his image a little bit and do a little branding in the way that Nate McMillan did as the associate head coach under Frank Vogel. Uh, I don't know whether he's made a lot of money. Yeah. I don't know whether he he's jonesing to come back and dance to the tune of a different guy. Yeah, that makes sense. I just, you know, I just think about him. He's not gotten a lot of opportunities since he's left, and you haven't really heard his name surface anywhere else but here for this job. So to me, I mean, I know he's made a strong impression, but if they think, hey, Chauncey Billups is more that player, you know, relations coach, then you can get an X's and O, like we talked about with Reggie Miller, you know, trying to get the right staff around him if he were to take that coaching position, which we know uh, wasn't going to happen, but we were just kind of right. throwing out hypotheticals, get some basketball minds like Larry Bird did with, you know, Rick Carlisle and Dick Carter. I, I just yeah. think that you're trying to get those assistants because I can't envision any of these names like Dan Craig or Chris Quinn leaving Miami to come to Indiana to be with Chauncey. But with Dave Yeager being unemployed and not really getting any other opportunities, I feel like that can make a lot of sense. Yeah, and I think, I don't know, the way the wind's blown to me, they're going to go get an assistant guy. A guy yeah. like Craig or a guy like Quinn, somebody like that. I, it just seems more likely that that's going to happen. You know, uh, those guys are, I, I think, more generationally sort of what the Pacers are looking for and sort of a new voice. And Chris Quinn's only 37. Uh, Dan Craig, Craig is only 40. Uh, I think that that's kind of the, the direction that it feels like they're headed, and I'd feel real good about that. Mm. I, I, I think that that's kind of the way to go. You look at the guys who have succeeded this postseason in the NBA, and granted it's kind of an anomaly and a weird offseason, but I, I think that and, – and if you bring in a guy who's had success in the past, he's going to come in with kind of a strong will. And I think that this front office kind of likes the way it does business, and they're going to bring somebody in who can kind of convert their philosophy toward this culture, I think. And I, I think that that smells kind of like a guy like Craig or, or a guy like Quinn or, or I guess – maybe a guy like Jaeger in, in some regard where he'd be coming in and would know that he had to dance to, to Kevin's tune. Mm -hmm. um, so, it, you know, but it, it just feels that way to me. Plus, you're not going to have to go to Herb and say, Herb, we got to pay Billups or D'Antoni $6 million a year to be <laughs> a head coach coming in instead of paying one of these guys who's coming in as a current assistant into their first head coaching gig and you don't have to pay them nearly that much. I think I think Herb, because, I don't know, Herb's got all the money in the world, but Herb still likes to make money, 
Yeah, you know, millionaires don't become tight. billionaires because they don't care about dollars. Right, right, right. No, he is tight with his money. There's no doubt about it. And I put a tweet out this weekend. I said, if the if the Pacers refuse to pay D'Antoni and Billups and hire one of these assistants, it basically means that they're concerned about paying the coach because they do already have all of McMillan and his staff they just extended to for another year. So I'm sure that that will play a, a part in it. But I guess my, my last thing, too, for Dave Yeager, one thing that I did notice when I was reading some stuff about him is the reason he kind of got into it with some players in Sacramento and, you know, with, with the front office a little bit was because he wasn't playing their younger talent, and what he was doing is he was playing to win games, and that feels very pacery to me. Yeah, right. Right, that you know what these guys aren't paid to develop people. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? They're paid to win games. You're not judged like there are a lot of ex coaches out there who who can take credit for the development of a lot of guys. Mm-hmm. But if you don't win games, you're going to get fired. Yeah. And so I get that. You know, you it, it, you go back to Moneyball. We talk about Moneyball a lot, but you see in the book and the movie that Art Howe had to figure out how to use the roster that Billy Bean provided him in order to justify getting a job next year after he got fired, he thought. Um, you know, and, and that's kind of the way it works. Uh, so, it, it and if you get a guy like that, I don't know, you know, if you've got a front office that wants young guys to be played and you've got a head coach who doesn't want that, you, you've got discord within the organization, that's not something that, that the Pacers like. Mm-hmm. You know, the Pacers like everybody kind of uh, – I've used this expression multiple times this show, but dancing to the same tune. And and if if you don't hear the beat as that front office does, you're going to have big problems. Yeah, for sure. So uh, I want to transition here real quick to finish up talking about the coaches. You know, it was interesting because Woj came on uh, one of the radio shows in the morning, the Keyshawn Johnson and uh, Jay Williams show. And basically what he was saying is – with the the 76ers hiring Doc Rivers, you know, Mike D'Antoni's options aren't, you know, aren't going to be there as much as he thought they would be. Well, he was a front runner in Philadelphia before Rivers was let go by the Clippers. And so now he said basically the Pacers hadn't had any plans to bring D'Antoni into their search, which I'm sure you were excited about. Right. He, he said that if the Pacers do open up that window of opportunity again for D'Antoni, they could interview him, and that could be a fit. But if he doesn't get hired by Indiana, basically he thinks that D'Antoni could sit a year or two. And I think, you know, at the age of 69, 70 years old, sitting out a year probably is not the most uh, enticing thing for D'Antoni. But with Doc Rivers going to Philadelphia, how does that affect Indiana? Well, I think it affects Indiana in two ways. Number one, he's off the menu for the Pacers, which is great news because we don't want Doc Rivers. <laughs> And he's been hired by an Eastern Conference team that's kind of kind of sexy as, as sort of being a team on the come with Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid as being a team that could contend in the East. And Doc Rivers, I think, is going to take them out of that. Uh, Doc Rivers, you talk to people inside the NBA, and he is exceptionally well-regarded as a human being and as a very, very nice guy. But he is not well-regarded as a head coach and and if you look at he's i believe he's been a head coach every year in the nba going back to like 2000 2001 he's won one championship he's gone to the finals twice both of those with the celtics he has under delivered 
at a lot of stops and in a lot of seasons. And for me, I'm really glad he's not coming in as the next Pacers coach. I think the Pacers ought to be glad. I don't think D'Antoni's going to be the guy, so mm-hmm. I don't think it affects him in that way. And and so I see that as nothing but good. It, it, two things can help make you more competitive in professional sports. One is you doing the right thing a bunch of times, and the other is the other guys doing the wrong thing a bunch of times. And that's really, really good for the Pacers to kind of take the 76ers and and move them maybe a step south in the Eastern Conference. And I think that that's what happened uh, uh, with a number of things. Number one, that trade to go after Markel Fultz was completely idiotic. And number two, hiring the wrong coach at the wrong time. Yeah, and I, and I think with the 76ers, I mean, they're, they're in a pretty big transition here, similar to the Pacers, because... Yeah. They've got a lot of money tied up in Tobias Harris and Al Horford, and those two guys were very underwhelming. Joel Embiid can't stay in shape, gets hurt all the time, and Ben Simmons has no three-point shot. So it's like, what are they expecting Doc to do? Is he supposed to be a, a manager of these players and try to figure out how they fit best? Well, I think they need to make some roster changes, and, and that was the whole thing with them hiring D'Antoni was they were going to make all these changes and and hopefully make a make a run at – James Harden in a couple of years when he's a free agent if he's not happy with how things are going in Houston because him and D'Antoni have a great relationship. I mean, I know you're against D'Antoni, but, hey, if he's got that kind of leverage to lure a James Harden away from Houston, that's Dude. the only reason I'd be hiring him here to get James Harden on the Pacers. You know, I, I, how many times do you see that, though? Not very that, often. That a, a player runs to a head coach. I, I don't see that a lot, so I would – I don't see that as uh, – and, and Harden, what's Harden? 32, 31, 32. Yeah. He's terrific offensively. But, you know, the next ring he wins is going to be his first. It's not like you're bringing in Michael Jordan or LeBron James or a guy who's going to guarantee some level of competitive advantage and, and championship capabilities. So, um, you know, and as far as – who, I, I'm, I can't remember who said this. because I never remember the people who say things that I just vehemently disagree with. But to say that D'Antoni could help, um, uh, you know, Victor Oladipo become the next James Harden. I mean, that's just... That's crazy talk. <laughs> yeah, it is a little bit. Um, but, yeah, so I think that kind of wraps up our coaching conversation here. So, Kent, let's take a quick break. But when we return, we'll tell you how Victor Oladipo, guest starring in the final season of Keeping Up with the Kardashians, will impact his legacy amongst the greats <laughs> of the NBA. All right, everybody, we're back. And so... While it might not have been keeping up with the Kardashians, Victor Oladipo was live on Instagram with rapper Fat Joe. And, you know, it's kind of interesting because with social media, anybody can talk nowadays. And so Victor Oladipo comes on there, basically talks about how he wants to win a championship. And he talks about, you know, wanting to get paid and and talks about, you know, Charles Barkley isn't, you know, named one of the greats because he doesn't have a ring and kind of said, when I want to, I want to get a ring so I can be talked about as one of the greats. And, uh, then he went on to say that he was a pacer and that he wasn't going to leave basically for New York. When that question was proposed to him, it was more like, uh, didn't turn down it, but he just said, ah, man, I'm a pacer. I don't know where these rumors are. I can't control that. So all this stuff happened. It surfaced through all of uh, social media, whether it's Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, pacer nation was hot. They were talking about it. So Kent, when you first saw all this, what were your thoughts? It, immediately. What I thought was when he said, I can't control that. 
I thought, well, here's Victor full of crap again because he can't control it. Uh-huh. He, he can absolutely control it. He could sign an extension and he could control it. So it, it, that's Victor, again, just saying stuff instead of meaning stuff. And that always bothers me because Victor is a good enough guy where I think he can he can both say and believe the same thing. And we're going to be able to accept it as the truth. Mm-hmm. Uh, wanting hardware is different than acquiring hardware everybody wants to win a championship there isn't a player in the nba who doesn't want to win a championship i'm in my 50s i would like to win a championship (laughs) that'd be great you know what i mean but i'm not going to and and if victor oladipo wants to win a championship here's what he's going to have to do he's going to have to sign a low ball deal with a team that's already set and he's going to walk in the door as the fourth best player on it yeah that's how he can win a championship. He is never, ever going to be the best player on a team that wins a championship, ever. It's impossible. It's inconceivable. And if Victor Oladipo thinks that he's going to be able to get into a gym and work hard enough, long enough, to bridge the gap between himself and the guys who are the best players on a team who are championship contenders, then he's also crazy because that amount of work does not exist. He, he is athletically gifted compared to, you know, normal NBA players, but he is not one of those generational stars. He doesn't have those capabilities. He does not have that in his toolbox. And if he wants to win championships, he's going to have to go be, uh, geez, Ron Harper, what Ron Harper was for the Chicago Bulls in the 90s. Yeah. You know, he can't do that by being Victor. This is my city, Victor Oladipo is not going to win championships. Well, no, and I think he's lost a lot of the fan base. They've, they've kind of turned their backs on him. A lot of it's, I think, due to the Paul George situation. I mean, a lot of fans yeah. really bought into him, and, and then he turned on him. And Victor Lodipo is kind of taking the same path that Paul did, where, where he's like, I can't control this. I mean, rumors were flying crazy about Paul George. Paul George then comes out and says he wants to win a championship with the Pacers at a, soft, a celebrity softball game, says that he is a Pacer. Yeah. It's reported Victor Lodipo is doing the same thing. Honestly, these rumors wouldn't be surfacing if Victor Oladipo wasn't letting them go out, uh, his his agent, because the Pacers aren't going to sit out there and shop Victor Oladipo right now um, if, if he said he wanted to be there. there. There's no way they're going to do that, especially in a contract year, because they really like Victor Oladipo, and he was the guy that really helped them you know, keep things afloat and turn things around whenever Paul left. So I don't really think Pritchard's looking to you know, get him out of the door. I think this is more Oladipo saying, hey, I don't want to be here, and, and having his agent put out you know, fillers for him, trying to figure, figure out if there's any teams that might be interested in acquiring him. But you know, we talked about this. Coming off that injury and how he played in the playoffs – you're getting cents on the dollar for this guy. You're you're not right. gonna get you're not gonna get, you know, a Bradley Beal level player back. That's just not what's gonna happen. So I know I threw some fake trades out there on one of our, our couple, a couple of podcasts ago, and I shared some of those on Twitter. And you were kind of like, you know, saying, man, if the Pacers could get Noah Vonleh and Reggie Bullock back, they better be calling the Knicks as soon as possible. <laughs> and, and it just made me laugh because it's like it's kind of come to that point where it's like I was thinking about it, it's like. It, with with three picks attached is what I had, two first-round picks, one that was not theirs, and a second-round pick. I'm thinking the Knicks are one of those franchises that is stupid enough that would basically say, oh, we got to get a star in here. we got to get a star-level player in here and, and believe in the Vic hype. But, um, 
yeah, I, I mean, I even saw Knicks fans saying, like, there's no way we would do that. So I'm just intrigued by, you know, Victor Oladipo and what his market could be. But I'm also just disappointed with how he's handled this whole situation. And those are Knicks fans yeah. who are even dumber than the Knicks front office. So it, that they're smart enough to understand that they don't want to make that deal. That tells you something. Yeah, I th- I think it, it, you're getting you are getting pennies on the dollar because these people these people are smart enough to have been able to watch and audit Victor Oladipo during the bubble and during that first round sweep by the Heat and say you know what not only and this is the damning part of the deal. I mean, we all saw that anybody that Vic tried to mark was able to get by him. And anybody that Vic was trying to get by on the other end, including Dragic, he couldn't get by. But what I really didn't like is that, like, Victor turning his back on Jay Crowder, mm-hmm. things like that. You know, as the ball's on the weak side, Vic turns his back and just kind of watches the possession. Crowder cuts to the bucket and and gets an alley-oop. You can't have that. That's not physical incapability. That's psychological indifference. And you, you can figure out maybe a way to physically rehab that need to a point where all of a sudden you're going to be able to be able to compete, but re, rehabbing the brain. So you're you're going to go ahead and see both. What do we learn? I first time you play basketball in the state of Indiana, at least see both. Yeah. You know, see the ball, see your man. Mm-hmm. And and Victor Oladipo flat turns his back to Crowder. What the hell is he doing? That kind of thing. I don't think is fixable. And Victor Oladipo, instead of going on uh, the Fat Joe fella, uh, his uh, Instagram deal, maybe he ought to try to figure out how to play basketball at a higher level yeah. and and not just get the knee right so athletically he's capable, but get his head right so he's competing. Yeah, and I thought it was interesting because um, – we had Brandon Scoop B, uh, Scoop B is his nickname, on uh, on our podcast a couple episodes ago, me and Fachi did, and he said that basically Nate McMillan had to convince Oladipo to play. And, you know, I and I know that Nate and Victor had a pretty good relationship, and, and, I, and I've heard that from multiple different people that said, hey, they talk quite a bit, but we also know that Nate didn't get involved in any of the drama that was going on as well. So, I mean, do you think maybe at all that McMillan's firing – uh, you know, was an indication to Victor that, hey, things are changing here. I don't want to be a part of it. Well, I, I think that it's an indication that things are changing a little bit. I, I think that's for sure. Yeah. Um, Victor, the, the thing about choosing not to play is that people are going to wonder what the motivation would have been for not playing. Number one, it's it's that he would rather not play than risk injury. And number two, he would rather not play than showcase himself as a player who's not worthy of consideration in a trade or free agency and damage his brand because athletically he's not capable of competing. Mm-hmm. And, and neither of those is a good thing. And, and so, you know, maybe the best play for him would be to muck his hand and, and move on and, and try to get ready for next year from a business perspective. But at that point, what you're telling people is that you don't want to compete. Yeah. And that's not good either. I, I think Vic was kind of in a no-win situation. And and the side that he aired on was the side of showing people that he's just not capable at this point in his rehab of competing athletically. But what he did as a result also is kind of lose his mind in a way that showed he wasn't capable of competing psychologically either. And that's not good. And if, if Nate and Vic were tight 
And if if Vic, if the if the thought by Pritchard and the, and the front office was that you know what, yeah, we're we're going to go ahead and let Nate go, and we really don't care what Victor thinks about it, then maybe that foretells you know what this franchise is thinking as far as twenty one twenty two, and maybe prior to that as well. Yeah, I mean, because there's been a lot of stuff going around. I mean, about Oladipo, it's been really. Hard to, you know, gauge what, what's going to happen because it's like Pritchard comes on radio and he's not going to say anything. Like, I know that. Right. And what he basically has said is all these rumors are from, you know, from different, you know, like from a New York outlet or this outlet. You know, people saying that Victor would make sense for their team basically is like, but there's not any rumors coming from here. And then, you know, you, you, you see the article from Jared Weiss in The Athletic and he didn't really even say that much. All he basically said is, this is a tough year for the Celtics to decide what they want to do with Gordon Hayward. And they could, you know, send him to Indiana for a Victor Lodipo type player, um, you know, to take that risk. But I just, I just listened to what everybody said. And Jay Michael said that he thinks that, you know, there's a 10% chance Oladipo is on this roster before the season starts. So really when it comes down to it, it's like, I just don't want this guy in the locker room if he's going to be an issue because, there's no reason that you want to start a year off with this with this guy in the locker room if he's going to cause problems. And you know what, Victor Oladipo is a it, 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 that's exactly right. And you know what, Jay has shown himself to be pretty well plugged in. Yeah, yeah. Jay has done a really nice job over a short period of time coming into Indiana Indianapolis and sort of figuring out the lay of the land. And, and plugging himself in in a, a pretty quietly effective way. And so I trust what he has to say in the star. Um, it, it, but Oladipo is and, – and Pritchard, you're right. Here's what – one thing about Pritchard is he's he's not going to show his ass, mm-hmm. right? He's never going to do that in an interview. But he, he's clunky enough as a communicator that you know when he's full of it. Yeah. You know what I mean? You can tell when he's dancing around it, and and he's he's not buying what he's selling, even. And so we know not to. Um, if they can get something in return for Victor, I, I think you deal him. And and you brought up Hayward, and that's kind of bad contract for bad contract, right? Right. Gordon's a guy who's making more than Vic, so you got to figure that out. But it, like Victor Oladipo does not project to be a twenty-one million dollar guy this coming year for the Pacers and Gordon Hayward is certainly not a $30 million guy for the Celtics. So both teams kind of have to figure those things out. I think the Pacers are in a better situation to accommodate Victor Oladipo's contract than anything else. And we always get involved. You know, this like fans and media, they always get involved at a, Oh, Mike Conley or Hey, Eric Gordon or Jeff Teague. And every (laughs) once in a while, Jeff Teague happens. Yeah, and and so it kind of validates the local guy coming home, but nobody bought tickets to right, to see right. the Pacers play because of Jeff Teague. Nobody's going to buy tickets. How many people were going to North Central games when Eric Gordon was the best high school player in the state, if not the country, in two thousand seven? Not that many, mm-hmm. unless the Jordans were coming to town and the game was on ESPN two or whatever. You know, the the local thing is not going to sell tickets. But those are two bad contracts, and if Gordon can stay healthy, then Gordon's kind of an interesting piece to a, a puzzle where Victor is not such an interesting piece physically. And, uh, you know, if he is a short-timer, 
you got to go get what you want. And we've talked about this in previous weeks, but maybe you wait uh, toward the t- the deadline to showcase Victor and show that he's capable of doing more than we saw in the bubble. Yeah, and see, I've kind of I've kind of been on the fence about that because it's like I understand that logic, but if he's going to cause issues for half the season. You know, I just don't want any part of it because I don't want to. I don't want to sit there and watch a guy kind of destroy some team chemistry just to get his value up. You know, if that makes sense. Yeah. Even though we might get a better player in return, it's like how much damage is he going to cause? And right. you know, what happens if all of a sudden he plays well and the team chemistry is good? Then the Pacers are like, oh, we're going to hold on to him. And then all of a sudden, you know, at the end of the year, he's like, well, see you guys, I'm going somewhere else. That that'd be my biggest fear, just because. Right. You know, the Pacers don't like to make... I mean, since Pritchard's taken over, he has not made very many moves at all. I don't think he's made any moves besides like a, a getting a couple second-round picks deal two years ago before the deadline. He's he's kept his guys intact and doesn't like to mess with that chemistry. So I say if you can get that deal done before the season starts, allow your guys to get some chemistry because, I mean, we're not even sure when the season's going to start, right, Kent? Right. Right, although what I've heard is it's going to be before the the first of the year. That's, ooh, that's, that's what I've heard. A, People inside the NBA believe that it's going to be before the first of the year. Well, that's that's good. And how would that affect the draft? Well, what I hope happens is that the draft, what is it, uh, November 18th? Something yeah, like that. yeah, November 18th. I hope free agency predates it. Yeah. You know, I, I hope that they get the clock right. And that free agency predates the draft, and we don't have this the draft, and then trades become official with the the new you know fiscal year for the the new league year for the NBA. It's always been kind of backwards. Never waste a crisis, yeah. right? And with COVID, we've got the crisis that maybe is is going to help the NBA sort of get their calendar straight. And I think that that'd be a good thing. But with the draft on the 18th, that they do free agency just prior to that. Uh, you know, I, I think it kind of makes sense. And then maybe you open camp, um, let's say December 10th, mm-hmm. something like that. And you use Christmas day as opening day. I think that makes a lot of sense. So um, would you and, wipe out uh, preseason there? At least most of it. And who yeah. cares? Yeah. Right. Yeah, I mean, I the, the Pacers have all but wiped out preseason in, in the way that they do business anyway, what they went to where they go India for a couple of games and mm-hmm. and that was basically it they haven't played a home preseason game in a while uh, nobody values the preseason the guys don't need it and the uh, the fans don't want it so mm-hmm. I, I don't think that's a problem if you can if you can play like two games or two scrimmages I think that's just fine getting your team ready to play yeah I think it'd be intriguing to do a scrimmage with another team close by someone like Chicago you know, yeah. just have a like a, a mixed practice. Now, with COVID going on, I don't know if they'd even want to do that. But, you know, just make sure everybody's tested properly. But, yeah, I mean, that could be a nice little change-up to see how free agency is impacted before the draft. Because, you know, a lot of times these teams will make draft picks and then they won't go after certain players because of the picks they made. Where I'm kind of in the opposite, where I like how football does it. You go out and you fill your roster. Yes. And then you go in the draft and, and finish plugging what you need. So you kind of can pick a little bit more by, by position, but I'm, I've always been, you just draft the best player available, no matter if you already have a star shooting guard or not, you can figure it out, especially in today's NBA with so much positionless basketball, you could put two shooting guards on the court at the same time. So the Pacers don't really have a lot of, you know, stock in the draft this year. So I'm, I'm, no. I'm all about them getting a little bit active before the draft starts and, and trying to solidify this roster. So we have an idea of what it's going to look like. 
and I think that'd be a good thing if you could if you could offload Vic and maybe Miles and yeah. get get a like you mentioned the in the other trade the the eighth overall pick of the of the Knicks. If you could do that, you know, I think it it becomes interesting. The the Pacers we've seen, they they don't trade into the top ten like ever, yeah. right? They minus that trade for Bender back in '99. Mm-hmm. They haven't, they, and that was via trade with the uh, with the Raptors. They haven't had a draft pick inside the top nine since like what the '80s. Yeah. So, you know, it, it, it's not something that happens very often. I think it'd be a really, really good thing to have somebody come in that we can get excited about. You know, it's like they, we knew T.J. Leaf was going to be at best two years away. Right. Aaron Holiday was a guy you didn't really get excited about. It's not like bringing in a lottery guy and you think, OK, here's perhaps a foundational piece for the Pacers. I think that'd be fun. We haven't had that in, in my tenure in central indiana and that goes back to 1993 yeah i mean and one thing that was interesting i had michael grady on last wednesday to, to talk about this whole pacer stuff that had come out and he had put a tweet out and said i think the pacers need to you know start from you know start over basically and so i was kind of curious what he meant by that so i i had him come on and he kind of explained it and he basically said, well, you can't get rid of everybody by doing a rebuild. He said, but I do think it's time that the Pacers start trying to invest in getting some draft picks. And and he said, you know, if they can keep Sabonis, he said that would make his mom real happy. <laughs> um, but uh, he, he said, because that's her favorite player. And he said, I want to make my mama happy. So don't get rid of Sabonis. Build around Sabonis. And he said he liked Brogdon. He said, but everybody else, you know. They got to figure out a way to build through the draft because he said you're not going to get free agents here like you want. He said you can get them through trade, but at the same time, what kind of leverage do you have in trades? And so it was really interesting thought because I haven't really because I, I said the Pacers don't do that, Grady. You know they don't they don't tear down, they don't rebuild. So how how do you expect them to go about this? And he said they got to get draft picks because he said the only chance of them getting stars on this team is through the draft. And he said yeah. stars win you championships, and the Pacers are don't have any stars on this roster. No, and and peripherally, you brought up a good point, and and that's that this is Malcolm Brogdon's team, Mm -hmm. you know, and and so he's going to be the leader of this team, and as you draft guys, it's going to be Malcolm who sets the culture, and is Victor going to be a problem in in that way? Because Victor is kind of an iconoclast. Victor operates in his own head, and that's not necessarily being a part of the collective head of this team. And and so if you're going to bring in guys via the draft and if you're going to get young, you've got to make sure that the direction the, these guys are going to follow, the path they're going to take is Brogdon and not Oladipo. Mm-hmm. And so having Oladipo here, if you're going to trade into the lottery, number one, you're going to have to give up Oladipo for it so that problem solves itself. Mm-hmm. But if, if you're going to draft into the lottery, you don't want to have – that guy walked through the door and say, okay, I got this guy and I got that guy and they both think they're leaders and I got a problem. Which one of these guys am I going to follow? You don't want that. You have to have a clear-cut leader. That guy is, is Malcolm Brogdon. It's not Victor Oladipo, but Victor may not be ready to kind of accommodate that and that could become problematic. No, it definitely could. And I, and I do want to talk about some trades here, Kim, but First, we need to take a break, and when we return, we're going to discuss not only trades, but how milking cows in the offseason will improve TJ Leaf's hand-eye coordination. We'll be right back. 
All right, everybody, we're back, and TJ Leaf is still out there milking them cows. But we're gonna we're gonna talk a little bit now about what the Pacers would, uh, you know, what we'd like to see the Pacers acquire for Victor Oladipo, for Miles Turner, and one name that keeps coming up is Buddy Heeldkin, and, and this is a guy that they said has soured with uh, has a soured relationship with Luke Walton. He's not even returning any of his phone calls. He wants out. He he has liked both the the Seventy Sixers or uh, the Woj tweets where the Seventy Sixers hired Doc Rivers, and he also liked the Pacers uh, coaching search tweet from Woj. So you know we we put a tweet out there on setting the pace three, saying, "Hey, buddy, healed Indiana. What you think?" And fans are blowing it up. I put out a poll yesterday. I said, if the Pacers could acquire one of these four players. Who would you want them to acquire? Drew Holiday, Gordon Hayward, Karis LeVert, and Buddy Heald. Guess who won that? Buddy Heald. So, I mean, yeah, I was surprised. I thought it was going to be LeVert or Drew Holiday. Um, But, yeah, so Buddy Heald got 33% of the votes out of of those four names. It was close. But I'm just just so intrigued by what the Pacers could get for these guys. And I'm going to – we're going to do a podcast later this week, me and Fachi are, where we're going to highlight, you know, some trade ideas from Miles Turner. But I want to get your thoughts on – what you would like the Pacers to acquire for these guys? Well, Buddy Heald's kind of a, an interesting guy, right? He's a little bit long in the tooth because he played all four years at Oklahoma. Yeah. Uh, but he's a very effective scorer. He's a good three-point shooter, 41% from beyond the arc for his career. Not a great defender, but I like, okay, he's playing for the Kings. So how many times have I watched the Kings with, with Buddy Heald, I, I'm not sure, but it, it's in the single digits. I'm not really sure whether that's Buddy Heald or whether that was, uh, you know, their scheme or whatever. And as we talk about Dave Yorger, uh, or Jaeger, you, you've got, uh, you know, they've got a pass together. Jaeger coached uh, Buddy Heald. So if, if Jaeger winds up being the guy and Heald is coveted by Jaeger, I guess that makes a little bit of sense, but, um, and, you know, I, I don't know enough about his game as a guy who's toiled in complete obscurity out in Sacramento over the <laughs> last few years. I don't know. I like Karis LeVert. You know, Karis LeVert is, uh, I remember him from Michigan. I liked him there. And I really, I when it was the Pacers take Karis LeVert, I was all happy. And then they traded him for Thad Young, and and I was happy too because I like Thad Young a lot. But uh, in that poll that you put out, I voted for Karis LeVert. Yeah, and uh, you know I I just think that he's a good fit, not necessarily a better fit, because uh, again I got to plead a little bit of ignorance as to what Buddy Heald has been throughout throughout his NBA career. But I like Karis LeVert. I I think he kind of fits. I think he's a good player, and and a guy who kind of makes things go offensively. Um, so that's kind of where I'm at, but you know what? Um, it, it really, just as when we talk about trades, it's about what you get back for Vic Mm -hmm. or for Miles Turner, especially for Miles Turner. You know, I don't mind trading him as long as you get a bunch of stuff back. Similarly, for a guy like Heald, what do you need to give up in order to get him? Or for Levert, you know, you can... Uh, evaluating an acquisition in the vacuum of not knowing what you're giving up is a little bit difficult, but, uh, you know, both guys there, I mean, healed is, uh, what is he? 27 going to be 28. So he's yeah. kind of a contemporary TJ Warren. We'll see. I mean, it, any change is good coming off that sweep, you know, that, that left such a, a wretched taste in our mouths. Change has got to be better than the status quo, right? 
Well, I think so. And I think with Buddy Heald, I think the most intriguing thing about him, he's a 40% three-point shooter. The Pacers yeah. really could use a three-point threat. And I and I know that a lot of people still think that D'Antoni is going to be the higher, just because he's been uh, attached to the Pacers since day one when they let McMillan go, and prior to that actually. So you know, I kind of get the intrigue by Buddy Heald, and I, I've heard some people ask me, "Well, why do you like Drew Holiday? You know, is it is it because you can have all the Holiday brothers here? Is that why we like him?" And it's like, no, <laughs> Drew Holiday is a really good defender. His wife's from Indianapolis, so it, it kind of has a connection there. And, and, you know, Karis LeVert to me is obviously a name that really stood out in the bubble. Somebody that they, that you looked at on that Nets team that you said, hey, this guy's something special. And so I actually asked Grady about it because who covers the Nets better than sure. Grady? And, and he said, look, he said, it's going to take more than Victor Oladipo to get Karis LeVert away from the Nets. He yeah. said, he said, you can't just, because I was like, well, I mean, with the Nets already having Kyrie and Durant, would they be willing to gamble on an Oladipo type player to be their third best guy, you know? Where Karras is is somebody a little bit younger that hasn't proven himself throughout a you know full eighty two game season and he's had injury problems as well and he said it's really going to have to wow the Nets to get rid of Karras Levert so you know that kind of soured my thoughts on him and and I and I did some other trade ideas and I don't know if you saw that poll or not but I mentioned all the trades and the the one that got the most intrigue back was the the Bucks Bulls deal where I had Vic going to Milwaukee, and I had Eric Bledsoe, Dante DiVincenzo, yeah. and a Pacers first-round pick going to Chicago, and then Zach Levine coming here. And it's like, look, I get it. They, not everybody loves Zach Levine, but I think he's been in some bad situations as far as his career, similar to Buddy Heald with the Pelicans and the Kings and with you know Zach Levine being in Minnesota, who's been god-awful, and then Chicago's been god-awful. Um, I just, you know, he could shoot the three ball pretty well. He's athletic. He could, I think he could really be, you know, be a good defender. If we can turn T.J. Warren... And Bojan Bogdanovic and the defenders, I think you could turn Lavina to a defender as well. So that's the only reason I'm like, I'm trying to find a guy that could actually replace Victor where you don't feel like you're going to have to tank because that's my biggest fear. You know, Lavert, here's the deal with Karis Lavert too, where he might welcome a trade. And and he's under contract for quite a while. He's under contract through 22-23. Yeah. But he, he was kind of the primary dude. With uh, with Durant and with Kyrie being uh, being injured, not playing, and and so that was good for him, and and so he averaged almost 19 points a game. Uh, th- that didn't gonna be the case anymore. If yeah. Kyrie and Kevin both come back healthy and they both play 82 games, Karis LeVert at the best is gonna be a third option, and and is not gonna be a guy who gets the kind of usage rate that he he got with the Nets his past year. Um, Levine is really interesting. Obviously, you'd love him. I, I don't think he's going anywhere. Um, man, there are just there's so many it, it, to talk about it in a vacuum. In the vacuum of you know not knowing exactly what the Pacers' ideology is as far as giving up you know Miles or Vic, uh, it, it's kind of difficult. But you, you almost again, it, it, where Victor's concerned, if you can get anything back. And if Victor, you know, tearing that quad tendon is really a little bit like tearing an Achilles. And with tearing an Achilles, that calf withers, right? The muscle for Vic withers, and sometimes it doesn't come back 100%. And, mm-hmm. and this is almost unprecedented, tearing a quad tendon at the age of 27, 28, and, and trying to bring that sucker back is really, really difficult. Um, 
so we don't we don't know and medical science really doesn't know how this is going to work but if if that muscle is withered to the point where it can't be rebuilt back to 100% of what it was before you know Paul George broke a bone like the bone is going to heal mm-hmm. right you can put a plate in there or a rod in there and that thing's going to heal and it's going to come back at 100% and you're going to be okay but with a torn tendon life is different and and so if you've known anybody who's torn an Achilles Man, that that just doesn't work. You can see the calf, the the difference in the calves as you look at guys who've torn a an, an Achilles, and I think a quad tendon is kind of similar with the quadricep muscle. And so, if you can't, if you have no idea whether he's going to be able to come back to near one hundred percent, you know, obviously you'd like to deal him, and and if you could get something back, that'd be terrific because his value at twenty one twenty one million dollars toward the cap. You're not going to be able to recoup it. He's a wonderful guy, and he's got an electric personality, and he's charismatic as hell, and he's exceptionally likable as a human being. But if he can't, if he can't produce on the basketball court any better than he did in a bubble, then you know you, you got to move on, and, and you got to accommodate that we really like this guy, but he ain't gonna help us win basketball games, and you got to hope that somebody's willing to pony something up in order to make the deal worthwhile, and I think that's where this thing is. And and I really think, like, that deal for T.J. Warren, right? I mean, the Pacers got – they got stuff with T.J. Warren just to take on that contract. I think that that's maybe where Vic is at. Yeah. Where if you want Vic (laughs) gone, you're going to have to give up something in order for somebody to take it. Well, and that's why I think it's interesting to pair both Miles and Victor together. Yeah. So, right. and, and Jay Michael was on uh, 1070 The Fan this week, um, and he said, Victor and Miles are the two players I've been told about for months now by multiple people around the league that they're the most talked about in deals. He said, around the league, there's a lot of interest in Miles. He said, if you package Miles with Victor, I think you can have something. So, yeah. so now it just comes down to, okay, well, what are you going to do? And like one of the trades that I thought of, because it's like, do you really want Gordon Hayward for both Miles and Victor? I don't think so. Um, that's not really a fair trade. So I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the roster. I'm thinking, well, what could they possibly do? And the only thing that really made sense to me right off the top of my head was send them to New Orleans because New Orleans wants Miles Turner. And then they can have Victor kind of take the place of Drew Holiday for a season. And then you get Drew Holiday, J.J. Redick, and a first-round pickback. I feel like that would be pretty pretty fair if, if the Pelicans are as high on Miles Turner as I've heard from multiple people down there in New Orleans. I mean, a lot of the New Orleans websites have been making fake trades for Miles Turner for two or three years now. So if they really, <laughs> I mean, if they really want Miles Turner that bad, hey, you're going to have to attach that pick with it. And and then another another team that keeps coming up as an intriguing name, and this is from fans out there. And there's actually a, a guy that writes a blog that's like twenty two thousand followers on Twitter covering the Warriors, and and they mentioned Miles Turner, you know, coming out to to Golden State. Now would Victor be attached to that? I don't know. But if you could trade both of them out there for, like, a couple first-round picks and Andrew Wiggins, would you do that? And I know Andrew Wiggins has kind of uh, got that, you know, black mark on his name where it's like, this dude's not very good. But if you can get picks back, I think that's really intriguing as well. Second overall pick this draft. Yeah, well, if you can get the number two for any kind of package that the Pacers could put together, I'm all in. Yeah, me too. You know, I, I think that's fine. Um, that's a, that's an interesting idea The the Pelicans that I, that'd be, I can't, I don't know what drew holiday just off the top of my head. I don't know his contract. I don't know how many years 
I'll look at that control over Drew um, you have. But if you could get Drew Holiday and a draft pick and another piece, and you'd have to sync up the pieces because in J.J. Reddick. Oh, Reddick. Reddick. Yeah. That makes sense. That equals the guys up. Yeah. Because you're, you're dealing $39 million worth of guys, and everybody's going to be over the cap. So, so you're, you know, you're not going to get any love money wise. So you got to sync them up to make them compliant. If, if you could get that, if you could get Drew Holiday, JJ Reddick and their first round pick for Miles and Vic, I do that in a second. Yeah. That's, that's kind of my thinking too. So it looks like, so Drew's contract expires. It looks like he has a player option, I believe. A player okay. option in 21-22 for $26.285 million. So I, I think that he probably would take that. He'd be 30, 32 entering unrestricted free agency in, in, uh, in 2022. So you'd have him at least for two more years. And I think that, you know, he's somebody that likes to play off the ball. He's not super tall, but he's got a nice wingspan. Right. Um, 30 years old, been in the league for 10 years. I mean, there's a lot of teams. I think George Carl was tweeting about him this week, actually. He was telling his nuggets to go out and get him. And he said, throw MPJ in there if you have to. So, you know, it's like <laughs> my biggest fear is, like, if the Pacers want one of these, you know, established guards and they're 30 and they're prime or on the tail end of it, <laughs> the other teams are going to have more to offer. The Nets are going to have more to offer with Karis LeVert. The Nuggets have more to offer with MPJ. It's just it's just a lot of question marks, and I just think the Pacers might have to sit back and wait for a team to strike out on somebody before they can get a deal done. And I like the idea of the Pacers finding a way to get old. Yeah. You know, I, I think they really need to do that. Levert's, tw- uh, what is he, 26, uh, turned 26 not too long ago. And and so that's fine. you got a guy entering his prime healed, kind of in the same situation, might be a couple of years older, uh, holiday older than that. But if you look at the team's, that are contending, you got you got multiple guys in their 30s who are still productive and understand how to play winning basketball. And, and I think that that's critical. You, you can't have a bunch of 22 to 26-year-olds or to 28-year-olds who are, uh, you know, still learning the game and learning how to win. I, I think it's really hard to be able to do that. I think you've got you to have some old heads in the locker room, you know, kind of a, a David West-type presence. Right. In order to light things up, and I, it, that's when you kind of knew, not to take this back to, you know, back in the day for the for the Pacers in fourteen and fifteen, and and David West. But when he left the Pacers, you kind of had a feeling that the writing was on the wall that this thing was taking a tumble, because if he didn't want to be here and he didn't want to, he didn't see a way to lead these guys, and you could feel that in talking to David and watching other media guys talk to David during that period. That uh, you know, it had gone, it had gone south for him, and if it goes south for a guy like David West, it's going south for the franchise. So I think getting some old heads in and and putting them in a position where you know they listen to Brogdon as a young leader, a guy like Andre Iguodala, something like that, I think makes all kinds of sense. Yeah, I mean, you don't want to get the wrong old head in here like a Monte Ellis or a Tyreek Evans, no. <laughs> you, you know? No. So you got to get the right guy, and I think we've talked about Chris Paul. He's he's a, he's a type of guy that's interesting. 35 years old is a little bit old yeah. for, for Vic and Miles. But, I mean, if you could figure something out, because really, I mean, my thought process is I would like to trade them separately, 
you know, if you could trade trade Victor and a piece, whether it's Jeremy Lamb or something like that, to make the salaries match to get Gordon Hayward, because pretty much, you know, once Lamb's you know fully healthy, he's only going to have one year left on his contract anyway. So, right. you know, you, you get that Gordon Hayward deal for those two, maybe, if you can do that. Then try to get Miles for a guard to take Oladipo spot. Then I think you can kind of fill that starting lineup with a really nice core five. And, yeah. and I think Gordon Hayward, like you said, is someone who's older, established, just bought a house in Indianapolis. You know, not necessarily saying that talent-wise he's better than Oladipo at, at his peak, but I just think he's a guy that's really calm, cool, and collective. And I think the Celtics were a lot better with him out there than when he wasn't playing and he was still coming back from an injury that was pretty significant. So, you know, it's just, I'm, I'm excited to see what moves they make. Obviously we don't know, and we're going to get into hypothetical trades in a couple, a couple of days with different podcasts. But when it comes to what, what we want value wise back, I just want guys that can help this roster compete for the next couple of years. And preferably, like you said, uh, if they can get draft picks, do it. But if not go get established veterans. You know, and you mentioned that Hayward's got a house here, I think in Hamilton proper, which is right up the road from us. And then Jim Boylan it still lives in Indianapolis and is lived in Indianapolis You're on this his entire thing. tenure with the Bulls. You know, so hire him as an assistant coach and bring in Hayward and then you save on moving expenses and that's gonna that's gonna make the Simons very, very happy. Why are you so in on this Boylan thing? Everybody hates Jim Boylan. Have you seen Twitter with him? Ooh, you know what? As a head coach you hate Jim Boylan. But as an assistant coach, I know of nobody with the Pacers who who were with the Pacers and around the team back when Boylan was here who doesn't really like him both personally and as a basketball guy. So as an assistant coach, I'm, I'm digging Jim Boylan. As a head coach, absolutely not. The guy put a time clock or a, you know a punch clock in the. Uh, in the Bulls locker room, I, I don't think you you want a guy who's who's even who would even consider such a thing uh, as your head coach. But as an assistant coach, I'm all about him. Yeah, no, I mean, I guess I'm I'm a little bit uh, hesitant. I'm a little bit hesitant on that, Kim. But uh, I just I just want to see like if they go out and get Zach Levine and then bring in Jim Boylan as the assistant head coach. That would not be good. So if they get Jim Boylan <laughs> as an assistant head coach, I don't think they're going to trade for any Bulls. Maybe Thad Young, but that's about it, right? I mean, I just I just can't see it. But all right, this wraps up our conversation for today. It's been a lot of fun. Colts don't play until 425 today, so we got ourselves about four hours here or three hours here to kill some time uh, watching football. So hope you enjoy your afternoon, Kent. Oh, that's I, I have every design on enjoying my afternoon. It, if if there's anything that people who know me know, it's that whatever afternoon I'm uh, a part of right now, I'm going to enjoy. Gotcha. All right. Well, Kent, thanks so much for coming on. We'll have to do this again next week, and maybe we'll get some more news as the finals will probably be over by next week, and the Pacers can start interviewing those Miami Heat assistants. So. You guys can follow Kent on Twitter at Kent Sterling. I'm at Alex Golden NBA. Make sure you check us out on Instagram at Pacers Talk, and we will talk to you all next week. Peace out, Pacer Nation. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.